this morning, really, in the midst of uh, some of the detail we'll share with you, I, I really only have one point, and then I want to kind of kind of challenge us with uh, how that might not work for us uh, to its greatest degree. Uh, this, this morning, really, what I want to propose to all of us is that it is the greatest pursuit in life to, to know and be known by people. But even beyond that, the greatest pursuit of life is to know and be known by God. Can, can you imagine what life would be like if no one with skin on knew us? And that we knew no one with skin on? Can you imagine just going through life, maybe playing with your toys or the things that you enjoy doing, but you all had to do it all alone? The, the greatest privilege we have in terms of human beings is to, to know and be known by people. And hopefully you have a family and a friendship circle where you can just be thinking about those people that are so important to you. Uh, just before I came up, I, I got a text from someone that I, that I knew in Banning. We got some people from Banning here uh, this morning that... Um, it just brought back so many memories um, of times we had spent together. It, it is such a privilege to, to know and be known. But if that's true on a, on a human level, how much more is it true to be known and to know the true and living God? So, so this morning, what I wanted to begin with is just announce to us again, and this is not going to be new for most of you, but to, to, us, to us to realize that this is true. It is possible to know God. And maybe you had conversations like this, or maybe you haven't, but I've had many conversations with people who don't believe that. I don't think it's possible to know God. And if it is, why would you want to know me? But it is true. It is, it is true. You can know God. You can know Him deeply and fully and completely. But not only can you know God, you can be known by Him. Have you noticed that some people are really fascinated with famous people? And it's their desire maybe to get their autograph or to be seen with them or take a picture with them or somehow be in the same room with them or maybe drop their name, which makes them important because somehow they knew them or had some connection with them and I've got to be important because I know somebody's important. And sometimes it's just the, the aspect of uh, I, I know that person better than you do. But if you notice that there's a lot of things about people you just simply don't know, I was uh, doing a googled search this uh this past week about people that you may may or not know these particular very important trivial facts about do you know that uh, brad pitt's first job uh, was to be a mascot at a chicken restaurant <laughs> do you know that uh, madonna uh really got fired from dunkin donuts because um well we won't talk about why she got fired but anyway hey, do you know that um that uh johnny depp is deathly afraid of clowns and tyrus banks is afraid of well, so many things she's afraid of. But Matthew McConaughey, he won't go through revolving doors. You know that uh, Albert Einstein could not speak fluently until he got nine years of age? In fact, they actually thought that he was, we'll call him mentally challenged at that point. And let me just tell you, for all of you who have parents that have little kids, don't compare your kids with others. Some kids will walk sooner. Some will speak sooner. It doesn't matter. I mean, your kid's going to become an Einstein at age nine, right? There's so many things about people that we really don't know, and, and yet, uh, if you knew those facts about them, how, how important would that make you? you? You might know some trivia, but, but you really don't know them. In fact, often, you really know if you know someone is not only that do you know certain things about them that are true that other people don't know, but what really marks a person about knowing somebody, do, does that person know you? And do they even care about knowing anything about you? And we might know that Brad Pitt, you know, lost, had a first job at, at a, as a mascot, but does he really care about what our first job was? 
And, and to think about that we have a God who created the universe, that he not only wants us to know him, but he knows us. And, and really, the process by which that happens is the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, is the agent by which we can come into an intimate, personal, real relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're in our small groups this week, this, uh, this is the, uh, the, the uh, time for the commercial. Read chapter 5 this week in the book Forgotten God. But really what we want to talk about this morning is that God wants us to, to really pursue knowing him and being known by him. So I want to just begin with a few verses that talk about the reality that that is true. But then I want to end this morning and talk about well, what, will, what will keep that from having that relationship in all the depth that God, want, God wants us to experience. Well, let's, uh, let's look at it this morning. If you have your outlines as well as your Bibles, you can look these up in your own text, or you can just listen on or look on as we read the text. But again, we need to realize that as we talk about knowing God, who is God? There is only one God. And as people pursue God in so many different ways, with so many different labels for who the supreme being they believe in, there is only one God. So if you miss the one God, you miss God. And God is one, one in essence, one, and one is a supreme being, and he's three in persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and you will never know God if you miss who Jesus is. If you get Jesus right, you'll get God the Father right and God the Son and God the Spirit right. But as we think about knowing God in his fullness, we want to know in, in his fullness all that he has revealed about himself. And God has revealed himself in the Godhead as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is often the forgotten God. We forget how he is to interact with our life, and we've been talking about that and looking at God's word over the last number of weeks. But what the Spirit does, among other things, he, he brings us into an intimate, personal relationship with the supreme being of this universe so that we have the privilege, and it's true, that it's possible to know God and to be known by God. Well, let's look at a few texts that just state that plainly looking at the words of jesus in john chapter 17 verse 3 jesus said and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true god there is only one god and jesus christ whom you have sent and, and that's that's right at the heart of it. if you don't know jesus you don't know the true god but what's so awesome about that god not only wants you to know him they he wants you to know that you know that you know there are a lot of things in in life that i i think i have a clue about as Tony was talking to our men just this last uh, Saturday morning, I, I hope I get certain things. And sometimes I find out that what I thought I got, I didn't really get, and I was really misinformed or I misunderstood. And I don't want that to be about God. And so God has written to us so that we might know that we know that we know. In 1 John five eleven through 13, um, one of the disciples of Jesus wrote this, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his, what? Son. Eternal life is about not what you know, but who you know. Then he goes on just to make sure we get it. He who has a son has life. That's in the positive, and then he puts in the negative, so in case we need to learn it that way. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. And this might, this might sound harsh, but really what it is is freeing. I, I, I want us to really be clear the, any, any, the worst thing you can say to a preacher after he preaches is, I didn't understand anything you said today, you know. And, and so what John wanted to say in his right, I want you to get it. He who has a son has life. And if you don't have him, you don't have life. But then he puts a commentary on his statements and he says this. 
He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's our responsibility to put our trust, our confidence, our, our surrendering to Jesus. And when that happens, he says, when you do that, you, that you may know that you have eternal life. I, I, other conversations I have with people, and, and we'll talk about what's going to happen next, what happens after this life. And I, I was... I was performing a memorial service this last week on the ocean and we were talking about someone who had passed away and and the greatest hope i can give the people who were there to remember is, is the greatest comfort is that we know where that person is and sometimes you talk with people and i say well do you know where you're going to go when you die and they say i have no idea and i say well i know where i'm going they say how can you know well it's not because i'm any smarter than them it's because I believe what God has told us is that when we know Jesus, we know what the next chapter is. We can know that we have eternal life. There's an assurance there. But, but how, do, how do we understand about God? How, how, do we, how do we get this? We only get this because God has revealed that to us, and he's revealed that to us through his Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And, and what I like about the Bible so much in so many different ways, it, it just makes sense when you just... Read it and listen to it and think about it. And, and it reasons with us. Sometimes when you read the Bible, just let it t- talk to you and, and reason with you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 11 and 12, it says this, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Now, that's rather complicated language. It simply says this. You know, who, who knows me better than me? Now, there, there's some things... I could tell you about my life, where, when was my first job, and what jobs I got fired from, or what things I, you know, I'm afraid of, or whatever I might. But, but, and some of that you might know from other friends, but there might be certain things, in fact, there are certain things you can only know about me that I would tell you. And, and so as we think about knowing God, the only things that we can really know deeply about God is if God tells us about himself. It, this is why Christianity is not a man-made religion. It's God communicating to us. That's the uniqueness of Christianity. It's not something we make up. It's something that God reveals to us. He goes on after that. says the only person who really knows a man is a man himself, fully and completely. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Well, that makes sense. And then he says in verse 12, Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, we're not getting this from just people with skin on, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. This is all to say this very simple point. It is true, it is possible to know God. Why? Because God has given us the invitation to know Him. He's revealed Himself to us. And when we trust Him and believe Him and surrender to His Son who fully reveals God, then we can know that we know that we have a relationship with God. But what's, what's just as great, if not greater, not only can we know God, but we can, we can get a picture of God knowing us. You know, some people have had stalkers, you know, people who just wanted to know something, and they, and they run around and they go, I wish that guy would just get away from me, or that gal would get away from me. You don't have to be afraid that if you're stalking God, that God's going to turn you away. He wants you to know Him, and He is able and desirous to know you deeply. 
And that's found in the second point. Not only is it possible to know God, it's possible to be known by God. And in case you think I'm just inventing this, look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Uh, Paul writes this to the Galatians. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. And that includes everything. You know, before you have a relationship with God, you don't have a relationship with God. Before you worship the true God, you worship false gods. Now, they might not have idols. They might not be in a building that is a worship. But it could be your car. It could be your job. It could be your family. It could be good things, but it's not God. And then he goes on and says this, verse 9. But at, now after you have known God, or rather are what? Known by God. Isn't that an amazing thought? I mean, wh- why, would, why would God want to know me? If I was God of the universe, I'd say, well, that's pretty boring, knowing Mike. I mean, there's got to be a lot of things more important to know than Mike. But he desires to know me. For it is that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. And he's talking, some of you are just falling away from this when you realize, look, God knows you. Why would you want to spend your time in things that aren't important? Well, what is it that God knows about you? And again, this is all done by the, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals God to us. That's what we found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And this is going to be on the test. That's why you need to remember everything I say, all right? But also, the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals to us what God knows about us. And again, what God knows about us, and he knows the trivial. He knows all the hairs on your head. For some of you, it's... You know, he has to count more than others, okay? But there are, there are things he knows about you that just trivia. But he knows the most important things about you once you know him. And, and we're just going to quickly go through a few of them. Number one, he, he knows you as his adopted children. This is found in the... the I had my, uh, my youngest son ask me, well, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And I go, gosh, how can I tell this in 30 seconds? All right, I'm going to talk about God, you know, out of the Bible. Okay? And so, well, what's your, what passage are you going to use? Well, I'm going to use a variety of passages. But if I were to re-answer the question, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about how God knows us out of Romans chapter 8. The Romans chapter 8 is really a chapter a lot about what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer and reveals what God, how God works in us who know him. And then are known by him. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, uh, 14 and 15, it says this. For as, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, and this is, again, the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in us, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, first reading these, you say, well, okay, well, what, what's the point here? The point here is simply this. God looks at you differently now than you, he ever saw you before once you come into a relationship with him. He, he doesn't simply see you as creatures that he has put on this and planted on this planet. He sees you part of his family. You, you are known like, like your parents know their children. And he sees you as part of of that most intimate human relationship that there is in life, when you're part of, a, of a, a family unit where everybody is to work together and people are to care for each other and sacrifice themselves for each other and do whatever is possible, not just to please themselves, but to please for the one that's under their roof. 
And as we think about God sees us as his children, he particularly sees us as his adopted children. You know, the Bible does have some illustrations, biblically in the Old Testament, about uh, children who began to be raised in other homes that were not their nuclear family. And you need to realize, once you become a, a child by way of adoption, you, as we'll see later on, you, you receive all the rights and privileges of children who are naturally born in the family. In fact, even more beyond that, it, it's, as you look at why you're brought in that family, it's because that family chose to bring you into that family. The, the first adoption we know in the Bible is probably the one of uh, Moses. Remember the story of Moses? Uh, his life was in their hands. I mean, his life could have been taken. And so his mother floats him on a little raft, handmade raft, and the daughter of Pharaoh comes alongside and, and, and just captures that child and brings it into Pharaoh's court. Now, w we can't particularly look into the heart of that uh, Pharaoh's daughter. She might have adopted that little Moses baby, uh, that little Jewish baby, because uh, she had pity on him. It might have been a beautiful baby. You know, there are certain ugly babies. We don't know if Moses was particularly ugly. Let's be honest. Some babies are ugly, right? <laughs> okay, so this, I'm not saying about any particular baby. I can now say it, right? But, there, you know, it, we don't know how beautiful that little baby was, right? But, but she chose to bring it into the court, right? And he had, some of you are never going to think about, listen to anything else I say other than that one comment. I just know how you are. All right, all right. Uh, but... He got brought into that family, and he was raised in a position of power until God brought him to something else. We also have the story of Esther. Esther uh, has a book of the Bible named after her, and uh, her parents die, and her uncle comes alongside Mordecai and adopts Esther. Now, we don't know particularly why um, Mordecai adopted Esther. We do know she was beautiful, so, so she probably was a beautiful baby that grew up to be a beautiful woman. Uh, but it's quite possible that he adopted Esther out of a sense of duty. I mean, he was family. He was extended family, and someone needed to provide for her. But I want to take another adoption story in, in the Scripture. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a story of David adopting someone, a, an older child. And, of course, an older child brings other ramifications in terms of, of deciding to take that step. And he, he has a name that's even hard to pronounce. It's Smith. Smith. Uh, I was going to practice before I came up here. See, even pastors have a hard time pronouncing certain things in the Bible. Mephibosheth. Okay? You can't say it fast. That's why I have a hard time saying that word. Mephibosheth. Oh, anyway. You, a, guy, a guy would begin the letter M. All right? Okay? And he, uh, he, was, the, he was the son of Jonathan. And he was also the grandson of Saul. And he was, he was a cripple, and his name, Mephibosheth, really meant to be a, sh it really literally is translated shameful thing. And, and when the whole story gets unfolded, and uh, Saul has died, and Jonathan has died, uh, Mephibosheth, the shameful one, is living in a place called Lodabar, which is a, barren pasture which means he's living on the other side of the tracks but being related to the previous king he had possible rights to the throne but David out of his great love for his friend Jonathan 
chose to bring Mephibosheth into his home, and daily he ate at the king's table. And, and what I, what I want to just to share with you, God knows you in that way. In fact, in Ephesians 1.5, it says this, that God adopts us out of the kind intention of his will. Not out of sense of duty, not out of sense of pity, but because he chose in his love to bring us into his family. So as we think about knowing God and being known by God, God knows us as one out of his abundance of love. He desired to bring us into his eternal family. After Romans 8, 14, and 15 comes verse 16. Some of you are still with me. Some of you are still thinking about that ugly baby, all right? Uh, the Bible says in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I, I, I didn't have a fancy way to say this, but let me just put it this way. Not only does he see us as his adopted children, but he sees us as his secure or forever children and again it's the ministry of the spirit just like the spirit brings us into adoption the spirit brings us into assurance that he doesn't want us to simply think that that somehow god in a fit of rage because what we have done he'll he'll boot us out of his family it's the spirit that brings assurance that we are his forever children and since you've already turned the page, let's turn the page. Not only are we his adopted children and his secure children, we are his joint heirs with Christ. In Romans 8, 17, and we'll look at the first part of it first, and then we'll look at the second part of the second. It says this, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Now, this is a part of God knowing me that it, it somehow, you know, it, it, it sounds great, but I've never really tried to visualize, well, what does that really mean? Okay, I'm part of God's family, but, but what does that mean I'm an heir, and particularly an heir with Christ? Well, one thing, just look at, when you get an inheritance, if, if you're going to have a, a, a pretty abundant inheritance, it's dependent upon the person you are inheriting it what? from. If they have a lot, the potential is you're going to get a lot. If they have a little, even they love you a lot, you're going to get what? A little. God loves us a lot, and not only does he love us a lot, he what? He has a lot. So whatever it means to be joint heirs, get, have an inheritance from Christ, it's going to be a lot, right? And, and then as you think about inheritance, now I'm, I'm sure this would never happen to any of us, but uh, if a person got a great inheritance, what could they do with it? They could, they could use it well, or they could what? not use it to they could squander it right you know what the bible says about our inheritance it's not inheritance that can rust in matthew chapter six it's not a it's not inherited that someone can take from us it can't be stolen but it will last forever isn't that a great inheritance because sometimes our fear is man what if i what if i got someone how, how would i use it how, could, could could i keep it would i bury it like one of the, the the stories of jesus where someone buried what he was given and he, he was so afraid that he might mess it up 
we have an inheritance that will not rust and it cannot be taken from. In fact, it says it's indestructible, it's undefiled, and will never fade away. 